everyone. Thanks for coming back to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. Today I have with me another group of hosts for Weld.com. You guys just saw a video from Adam Stretch this weekend, actually. He went over the welding positions. He is an instructor at Pellissippi State Community College in Knoxville, Tennessee. He's also the AWS section chair for Eastern Tennessee. And I also have with me Bo Wigington, who is the owner of Bo Did It. He opened his new welding company this year. He is a recent grad student from welding school. And we've had him on the podcast, and he's also done a few videos for us. So thank you for coming on, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so I'm excited to get started. We're kind of doing like an end of the year podcast series where I have on multiple guests and I just like to hear, you know, you guys get to talk to because you guys haven't met each other in person. And, you know, I want to bring the welding community together even more. So to get started, I would like to know what is something that, you know, this has to do with your welding career and your techniques. What's something that you learned this year that was really important to you? Well, uh, uh, something that I, so I'm working on a bar phase right now. um, And I haven't really done a ton of finishing, but uh, I've learned what different types of acid will do to metal. And that's, that's been a whole new world. So like metal finishing is something really important that I've learned so far. And it's just been a really fun aspect of welding that I'm excited to explore even more with. Adam. I was going to say, Bo, that that's a great answer. I've, I've actually got some resources I can send you on that, that I've been excited to try out a, a few new things for some projects that I've had going on. Uh, as far as, as my end, just uh, continuing to learn more. I, I finally got an answer to a question that I've been searching for for about 18 months on why self-shielded flux core is ran direct current electrode negative. Um, I had taken a real deep dive into that from a student and uh, really put together a lot, of, a lot of different pieces of a puzzle, asking a lot of weld engineers and, and manufacturers. And I finally got a, a satisfactory answer to why we run that direct current electrode negative. Um, and uh, the other one that I think is very exciting I've learned is um, stick welding or uh, welding aluminum with a DC only machine and using a stick welding aluminum electrode as the filler metal. And it's just one of those extra tips to keep in your in your back pocket that you can if you've only got a, a DC DC electrode negative machine and pure argon, you can use the stick rod, the 4043 stick rod to weld aluminum. Normally you would have to run um, helium as your shielding gas if you're running DC aluminum, but you can use it. Something in the flux allows you to run it and uh, want to play more with that. So. That's interesting. That would be exciting. Experience from like selling filler metals and stuff like that. I know like nobody likes to run aluminum stick electrodes. (laughs) (laughs) 
every once in a while, there's a time and a place, and keeping one in the back uh, back seat of the truck for those emergency jobs comes in handy. Yeah, for sure. So, Adam, as an, an educator, how do you continue to learn and stay on top of things? Um, obviously, watching uh, the welding videos that come out, um, staying up on all the uh, the different forums and, and the chats going on, and I read a lot of good books. If you want to learn new stuff, open an old book. Um, constantly getting book suggestions and, and going through some of the, the old content, stuff that's been buried for the last 50 years and, and seeing how it ties into the, the modern age. It's, it's amazing how far we've come in, in just the last 80 years in, in welding advancement. Um, but that's uh, staying up on that and then going to any of the uh, and trade shows, uh, you know, the Things like the um, FabTech um, training seminars, uh, hoping to either get up to uh, Hobart or Lincoln this summer now that things are settling back in to continue advancing my own. And uh, uh, I guess a personal goal of mine for the 2022 is that I want to sit for the certified welding supervisor exam. I'm hoping the study material gets me a lot of additional material that I can kind of turn around and put in my own classes. So. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Never stop learning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Never stop learning. And I love that saying that says, if you're the smartest person in the room, you better move to a different room, right? I really like the aspire to inspire or aspire to inspire before you expire. Well, that's kind of uh, dark. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bo, I have a question for you. What are some time-saving tips like so now that you've been a welder and like you've had the opportunity to get some jobs under your belt and you know you're working you have your little shop that you made what are some time-saving tips that you could offer to new welders like once they're out of school a big one is just having a clear and concise uh, expectation from your customer I've, I've had a couple jobs where it's gone back and forth, back and forth, like start working on something, they want to change it and then change it and change it and change it. Just like having something very clear and concise, I feel like that's going to save you a lot of time and headache and also making jigs, like make it if you're making multiple things that have to be the same, setting up a little jig on your table so that you can just pop in your pre-cut metal, put it in there, weld it up go to the next one jigs are a huge time saver mm-hmm. so those are things that you're making so like i use what i'll use like if i'm making a bunch of like i've been doing a couple different sign projects and making the frames i'll tack up like i'll put uh, some angle iron i'll tack it to my welding table at the right angle so that i can just put the pieces in clamp it down weld it up make the next side just making it so all you got to do is put things in there, clamp it to the angle iron that's tacked to the table, weld it up, flip it over, weld it up, good to go. Adam, is that something that you teach students in school, like how to make jigs, or do you just use clamps mostly, and is that something that they don't learn until they like leave? No, that's uh, that's one that I've tried to make our program a little bit different is uh, – you know, everybody covers the major welding processes, but there's a lack of, of fabrication skills mm-hmm. and how to use certain tools, you know, one, two, three blocks, 
the genuine metalworks, um, the fireball tools, all the stuff from Stronghand, you know, just how to use whether it's a, a simple piece of angle aluminum to act as a, a 90 degree square plus a chill block to, you know, some of the, the more advanced, you know, slot and tab type tables, anything to make work easier so that the, the repetitive is not quite as repetitive. And they also come in handy when you're doing uh, repair work and you just need a, a second set of hands on the other side, throwing a couple of clamps and, and a bar over on the other side will hold the other end of a tube up so that you can finish lining up the end that you're working on. <clears throat> um, and really just, that's one that I get as uh, from my advisory committee, the different companies is, is people to critically think about something. Look, look at it and go, well, if I put this part A in front of part B, I can't get to part B. I should weld part B first and then put part A in front of it. And some of the the SOLIDWORKS drawings that I've come up with as student projects are designed in that, you know, to, to kind of get them to actually make those mistakes early on and realize that, oh, I, once I put this in, I can't get in there. The, the MIG nozzle doesn't reach down in there. Okay. You know, and, and that way, the second time they do something there, it's, it's being thought of that. Um, I, I backed myself into a corner the last time. How do I not do that the second time around? Mm -hmm. hey guys i want to remind you that you can go to our youtube channel and now you can become a member by clicking the membership tab here you can have access to loyalty badges next to your name and your comments and the chat custom emojis early bird access as well as some exclusive videos as well to members only member shout outs, priority replies to comments and technical advice, and there'll be some members only polls. We have some exciting projects coming up and different ways we're going to be giving back to the welding community. So we look forward to seeing you there. That's, I mean, you have to learn from experience though, right? Like, so I'm sure that you guys have both had projects that you've started and like you're in it and you're like, man, like this was not a good way of doing it. Like you had to tear it apart and start all over again. So with that being said, what is like the worst project either of you have ever worked on? Like it might've been just your own idea or some project that just wouldn't go right no matter what. When you walk into Jimmy John's, the giant saying, sign says, experience is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Go ahead, Bo. <laughs> um, I, had a, I had a project that I started working on for Christmas that kind of spiraled out of control. I was trying, I'm, I'm starting to try to sculpture and I was trying to make a Christmas tree out of, or out of rebar because I had a bunch of rebar left over from a project. And so I started tacking pieces on, and then it went from weighing like 10 pounds to weighing like 20 pounds to now it's like 50 pounds because I just keep adding more and more angle or and more rebar. So it's like it's just kind of spiraled out of control, and I think it's just going to be a very big paperweight for, for now until I can figure out exactly how I want to make it work. Or unless you get a crane installed. Yeah, I know. It's it's like getting way unmanageable. It's like this thing is just not practical for anybody. Yeah, that's funny. It's a perfect present to give to somebody else and it's their problem. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like, here, this can sit somewhere and you'll never move it again. So, Adam, what about you? Um, my, mine is uh, usually uh, welding different alloys together and uh, having to figure out which, which process, which filler, which gas, um, you know, to uh, preheats and, and interpass temperatures. Uh, anything galvanized, you can keep that. Um, and then stainless steel, I, I'd work with stainless a lot and um just planning it out so that it doesn't warp and you end up with a a true and straight and square finished project and the amount of time you know it's just time that you you lose clamping you know uh chill blocks behind things and squaring it up and putting a little weld here and a little weld there instead of being able to just dive in and, and weld something complete and have it have an oil can or warp to the point you can't straighten it back out with the torch uh, those, those are usually the, the big ones that are a challenge. So, Adam, I have a question for you. If you had to teach a class on something other than welding or fabrication, okay, so it can't be welding, can't be fab, what would it be? If I would teach anything else, it would yeah. be uh, basic math skills. Hmm. How to read a tape measure, how to convert fractions to decimals, um, or history there's a I think history could be taught in a very a very different format if you actually engage students with with the living history not not simply memorizing dates yeah history is not my strong suit I love watching Jeopardy like usually my daughters and I we watch it we're eating dinner around that time. So we'll kind of sit at the table and we'll watch it together. It's just been something we've always done. And when the history ones come on, I'm like, nope, not me. <laughs> I, I read a, I read a great book by uh, Chris Kyle, you know, the American sniper that was uh, history taught through, through different firearms from history. And that was, it was a fascinating approach to history from a real world application. They had little stories like something that that particular firearm would have done in the civil war and then you know in the in the revolutionary war and so it was just a much different approach to history that i think instead of memorizing dates and, and you know historic events that you you pretty much forget about after you memorize it to take the test things that you actually stick yeah that you're not just when you're memorizing things like like a timeline or, you know, the order of the presidents or something like that, sometimes you don't retain it because you're just cramming yeah. it to try and memorize it to hurry up and write it down fast on a test. You, you memorized it the night before the test to take the test yeah. that morning and it it's went gone. away. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Bo, do you have any um, desire to like become a welding instructor down the road? Like what, what does that kind of look like for you? That that's the, that's the plan. When I was in school, i I really enjoyed school. Like I, I had a lot of fun and I, I would love to be an instructor down the road. I'm a, I'm a member at a makerspace out here now. Nice. Um, and I'm going to be doing some MIG classes with them, like helping the head of the shop out with teaching MIG classes. Cause they have a very high demand right now. That's so. awesome. Yeah. That's literally nice. how I met Craig from the barefoot forge i just had him on and we talk about that all the time that's how i met him i was trying to find someone local in pittsburgh so i could go see them 
And I found him because he used Pittsburgh welding as a hashtag. And then I found out that he was, you know, in a blacksmith and in the makers community. And I actually learned all about that space. And that's something that weld.com hasn't been a part of, but we definitely are going to be like, they have this thing called makers camp that they have once a year. I think it's in Catskills, like up in New York. And it's like a giant thing, like where they have all different people. They have welders and they have people that do woodworking and blacksmith and all that kind of stuff. And you can go around to the camp and try like different kinds of projects. People will show you how to make things. They have stuff for sale and um, everything like that. That should be a really great experience for you, Bo. You'll learn a lot about sculpture, like how you're starting to get into that. Yeah. Well, tell me about that maker's camp when you get more info. That sounds fun. I will. It came up like too short of a notice. It was, I think it was in November, I want to say. And um, our schedule was real crazy at that time. And I had just met him and we didn't have enough time to plan for it, but it's something I definitely would like to do um, this year. So I'll definitely keep you in the loop and maybe you can um, go with me. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Awesome. That'd be an awesome experience. I, I think there's one in the Carolinas that takes place too from the, the makers in this area, but yeah, what a, what a cool experience to go try, you know, just try new stuff. Yeah. They had, I think that they had people making knives, um, axes, like they had all, di- it was just so much fun. Like I could tell they had fun just from watching his stories. And there's actually that show on Netflix, that metal shop masters, show Mm -hmm. that one girl leah who was on there i talked to her and she actually went to that camp too and she and she saw craig and she said oh yeah he's a blast like we had so much fun and i was like you know what it really is a small world once you finding all of these people who have something in common you know that there is you know that it's just not tig welders or mig welders and you know that's what we're trying to do at weld.com is make a welding community where you can find people with common interests and branch out into other hobbies and other techniques and learn more. Yeah. I mean, definitely like coming out of school, like school, the school I went to, it was very like construction oriented. So it was like learning how to pass certification tests. And like, that was like the main goal of school and then getting out and realizing like the endless pathways you can go down with welding. Like, I I feel like that's something more people, if they knew all the different things you can do, it would become a lot more popular with more people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good idea to maybe have a, a like another video like how Adam was saying before we jumped on here about having a video to show like once you reach a plateau at a certain point like how do you get out of it but also have a video with maybe people from all different aspects of the industry and like kind of show like a day in their life of like what they do and like maybe like make like a video montage so people could see all the different things you could do with welding maybe oh yeah everybody loves a montage i keep the uh the lincoln electric uh welding career tree poster at Mm -hmm. the entrance you know in, in each one of the classrooms so the students have to look at that poster as you come and go because we know you're going to change, you're going to change jobs multiple times, mm-hmm. but you can stay in the same career field without having to, to totally leave and go to something else. I mean, if I was going to buy welding supplies, I'd rather buy welding supplies from somebody that's welded than somebody that's never welded before. If I was, you know, that 
just just the knowledge that comes with yeah i've been there and done that um and i think one that i i touch on every time i give new student you know orientations and presentations is from the welding the general public general public only sees two things in welding they see guys laying in dirty ditches and they see iron workers putting up the buildings you you never get to see the girl that's doing tool and die repair with a uh, a laser and a piece of filler metal that's like a, a small section of hair the general public doesn't doesn't see that we don't i mean even my mom doesn't really understand what i do for a living what what is welding and what is welded stuff you know that the iphone's got 900 welds in it and nobody even thinks about that when they pick it up yeah there's just so much more to this trade than than anybody realizes and and how much gets affected i I argue with our nursing department a lot because you always hear we need more, you know, when we need more nurses, we need more nurses, we need more nurses. If I take away your car to get to uh, the hospital, the bridge to get over the river to get to the hospital, I take away the hospital, the gurney and the tools. Somebody had to build your car, your roadway, your bridge, your hospital, your gurney and the machines that make and clean all the tools they use. We're kind of important. <laughs> yeah. Those are kind of important. <laughs> Adam, what does your mom think you do? Um, she has no idea what welding really is. Uh, she'd really like me to make some sculpture stuff. And that's, um, that's really not, not, you know, a bottle tree would be awesome. <laughs> that's not really my cup of tea. Uh, I'd rather work with engineering firms on, on uh, you know, special processes and, and uh, doing fabrication and repair work. Uh, I, I just, I've learned to appreciate the art side a little more and actually incorporate that in some of the classes. Uh, I've followed some of the people that make like the silverware artwork. Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to, trying to do in like the capstone classes, force the students to do a, at least some art to appreciate it because, you know, there's a lot of artistic welders that are not the best at welding. Mm -hmm. but the ideas are really solid and so mm -hmm. taking those and blending them together and instead of having you know a a classic welder being like oh that's garbage because those welds suck well i'm sure they do but instead of hitting them on the on the quality of the welds look at the whole thing and, and they're doing something you're not so appreciate that that's funny yeah well you, they might not even know that they like art until they try it too yeah. So what getting proportions is a lot harder than you think <laughs> yeah adam in your area what are like the top jobs like i had asked bo this whenever he was on the podcast whenever people leave your program what are like the main jobs that they're going out to do like what's what's in your neck of the woods kind of what well, it's, it's kind of interesting here where um if you're if you go to the the far northeast corner they've got eastman kodak and so the school up there is really training for the eastman kodak and then the chattanooga area is really training for like uh, the volkswagen and, and automotive suppliers uh this area is very diverse we've got uh, a strong union presence with the uh, oak ridge national lab and the uh, y12 nuclear complex and they're building one of the largest single largest projects there for uh department of energy the uh uranium uh 
but everything from from heavy equipment, heavy equipment repair, uh, job shops, um, maintenance and repair, uh, small parts. Um, it's just a you're not, and that's why our program has to be so diverse. I don't know where you're going to go. I don't, I don't have the the single employer that's hiring most of your welders like like you would with let's say a shipyard mm-hmm. right down the road. I've got I've got all of these different niche markets, whether it's uh, the, the blacksmithing and, and handrails and heavy equipment and small projects and, and aluminum. We've got a lot of uh, boat manufacturers doing the aluminum towers. So, you know, getting used to the, the hot button on a TIG torch and welding anodized aluminum. And then you, you jump over and the next one's carbon arc gouging, you know, parts to re- repair a, a dozer bucket and then to expose students to the vast array and let them kind of pick the niche that that will fulfill their their happiness you know do you you want to tig weld exotic alloys or do you want to you know stick weld outside let's let's narrow down what you want to do mm-hmm. um, and expose kind of all of that so that people are aware that all these options are at their fingertips and and you don't have to totally leave a career field you can you know just transition into a different different environment if that's what you choose to do right so whenever you were in school i can't remember if you told me this or not but was your main goal to start your own business right outside of school or were you considering working at other companies uh i was very uh set on working at a specific pipe welding company out here actually uh like i was I was going the, down the skills ladder that was leading to be a pipe welder. And there's a company around here that hires directly out of the school. And like, that was what my whole mindset was on. And then I picked up a bartending gig to take daytime classes instead of nighttime classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just started doing a bunch of fabrication work for the bar. And that's what kind of, led me down the path of starting my own company because I really enjoyed doing that a lot more than the pipe welding aspect just because it was being more creative of like figuring out how to make something that is along the lines of what is a vague description of what they want you know or like hand hand drawn little scribble drawings like I was like okay I'd like I like the challenge of figuring out how to make something that is going to match what is in this person's mind Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of reward with that too, isn't there, Bo? To to see raw material just turned into a, a somebody else's dream. You you made it happen. Yeah, no, it's it's been a lot of fun. Like just uh, like I've been doing, I've been working doing a bunch of jobs for this bar for the past like ever since I started the company, pretty much. And um, like they've been my main client because it's every week I have new projects that they they're renovating about like all three of their locations. So it's something new every time. And uh, it's just, it's fun. I enjoy it. So do you have to make a lot of drawings before you actually start cutting material and stuff like that? Like to make it like to write down, like to scale, like what you're going to be cutting and stuff like that. Do you find yourself drawing a lot first? Yeah, I do a lot of drawings, and it's I I always try to go always over, never under, 
it is a very uh, big I with like welds like underfill is always going to be a defect um but same thing with like undercutting something like if you cut a piece of iron a little bit too too short you know you could always weld some more on but it just is more time you're gonna have to spend fixing that so i do a lot of trying to make things as close as possible but if anything a little bit over so i can shave it down mm -hmm. So I have a fun question for both of you. If you guys had all the money, all the tools and help that you needed, what is something that you would build? Oh, man. So no hurdles, like take out any kind of barrier that, that you would have. You would be able to do it. Name something you'd build. I would probably specialize in the cages that the motorcycles go around like at <laughs> festivals all right like carnivals and stuff like those fascinate me and it would just be cool to make super crazy ones of those that would have to be huge right like those are really really big yeah adam oh all right if if i had if i had the the money and resources available i would probably build another welding school that was a uh um, kind of like a for-profit school and you would have the ability students, students would get paid when they came in and trained instead of paying to go to school. Um, one of my lab techs and I had a, a good discussion on this and, and he had some really good ideas where, where you'd clock in and clock out, you'd take a drug test to, to come to school, you'd get paid to be there and learn. Um, I would, I would get rid of some of the, um, bureaucracies that happen within the uh you know our current educational system where you could hire in people that uh bring in an expert in that particular field and that course was going to be a week long and and an expert from that field would be the one doing the teaching they would get compensated keep the class sizes you know relatively small and you know it would it would actually really specialize in, in covering all of the different things that students could want to learn um, instead of the, you know, humanities and fine arts courses so that get required like to be programmed. So you would actually, yeah. so you would actually quote projects and actually like do them and deliver them and everything. Correct. That would be Correct. awesome. So it would be a win-win on both ends is you'd be able to, to make, make products for, for customers and give students the opportunity to learn in a real environment, not, not a classroom, you know, everything from, from field work to, uh, to shop work and production, you know, making, making fixtures, we'll make a fixture that's actually making a part, not scrap metal and, and uh, you know, doorstops. So here's a question for both of you then, because I actually know of like some like smaller shops who will hire somebody and they will like train them like on the spot to do like what they do. So you're kind of explaining like to have a facility that that's what they do for everybody. But what is your opinion about that? Like that a small company, maybe there's like a laborer and he like starts, you know, noticing the guy welding and he's like, Hey, I want to learn how to do that. And then they slowly start teaching him how to do it there rather than going the educational route that he would just learn on the job. 
you've got five different ways to get into welding and, and you, you don't need to go to school to learn to weld. Yeah. Uh, the trade-offs come in, you can do a, a union apprenticeship and that's a great option. Um, you're going to specialize in what that union does. Right. So if you're doing sheet metal, you're doing sheet metal. If you're doing iron work, you're doing iron work. And even in iron work, you know, there's, there's different realms that have, you know, that take place, you know, specialized just into those unions. If you're, if you're doing UA, you're, you're doing pipe, you know, you might be doing pipe welding or pipe fitting. If you go, um, you know, the, the one-year certificate type programs, um, you know, a lot of those are designed to pass a weld test. So mm-hmm. you, you get in and, and you, you practice that, you know, 3G, 4G, you know, stick or flux core test, or you get in and, and do the, you know, 2G, 5G, 6G pipe type applications, you know, 60, 10, 70, 18, and you get really good at doing that, but you miss the, how is it being applied? You know, we, I've had students ask, you know, like, oh, do we, so when we go to work, we're just going to weld these, these two six inch long coupons together. No, this is, yeah. <laughs> you're just learning to do that for this other thing. Um, you've got um, learning on the job, you know, you know, just straight, straight on the job. The, the hiccup that I have with some of the on the job is your welding is all tribal knowledge. So you're learning from whoever the best person in the shop is. Um, Sometimes that individual only knows what they know and they might've been somewhere for 20 years, but if you make the same part for 20 years, you have, you know, one year of experience 20 times versus 20 years of experience. So if you haven't challenged yourself, as we talked about earlier, you know, you haven't, you, st- you can tell when people stop learning when you have conversations with them. Um, you know, you oh, we we've got the we've got the good welding gas. We've got seventy five twenty five MIG welding. It's like well, so you, you stop before you got to spray transfer and pulse and modified waveforms and you know the the STT and, and RMD and you know rapid X and rapid arc and precision pulse and pulse on pulse and okay yeah never mind. Um, so you, you kind of miss some of that from somebody that may have gotten, they got into the field because they started working at that company. They've now been there for 10 years and now they're training you. And they really only know what they learned from the guy that trained them. And that some of that information gets a little outdated. Mm-hmm. And if you've never been exposed to some of the other things that are available, the, the advanced processes, the robotics, the automation, you know, there's, there's a lot more to it. And I think that sometimes might turn some people off. You can obviously learn at home, you know, watch, watch videos and simply go in your ground, you know, go, go over to any one of the small suppliers and and buy a welder and start welding. Um, The the trade-off is when you, when you go to educational, you know, good educational institution, um, hopefully you're getting exposure to a lot of different stuff. And, and you're just acceler- you're accelerating that learning curve. So you've got somebody with the experience over your shoulder to say, you know, slow down, speed up a little more to the left, a little more to the right, tuck your arm in um, and, and get the, the skill set, you know, get, get that memory, the motion in the hands and the arms and the body positions so that you've eliminated some of the, the long learning curve and being able to say, hey, troubleshoot this. Here's how this machine, you know, walk in and look at a, uh, you know, 
let's say a, a Miller dynasty, you know, what, what are all the buttons and features on that? And how do they work? How can that make your job easier? Uh, you know, I've got a, I got a Lincoln aspect out in my garage that if you had no idea how to stick weld or how to pulse stick welding, you know, can, wait, can we do that? Can we weld off the foot pedal? But how does all this stuff work? And being able to use a piece of equipment to make your, your job easier do you need a, uh, you know, a, a Furic or a Tigware, you know, number 32 or number 24 cup to, to weld some stainless? No, you can do it with a number five cup. Do you need pulse? No, you don't need pulse. But if you're going to make the same weld for eight hours straight, you'd like them to look the same from, you know, six o'clock in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon. Well, well, how can we use technology, especially as most companies are fighting the fact they can't find qualified welders we're getting old and our bodies don't keep up anymore mm -hmm. so how can i use that equipment and, and use program seven to just just make it a little easier and every weld looks the same you know you, you look you lay out all the parts across the table you know as both said you you know you make a fixture when we're doing fixtures to make parts the same well why not use a program in the machine to make parts look the same I've seen there's like this thing called like the weld Bible and like people will like write their settings in it. Do you guys use the settings on your machines, like the pre-programmed ones or Bo, like ever since like you started, like maybe did you start using those settings, but now you've like learned how to tweak them to do what you want. And do you write your settings down? Do you have them the next time you go do it? Or do you like save them in the machine? I, I write it all down. Um, just because, I mean, I'll I'll use the machines like pre-programmed ones and tweak it from there to just really dial it in. But a lot of like when I went to school, it was like you they wanted you to try to keep everything pretty consistent so you know how to slow down, speed up, like to manage your heat. So I try to I try to keep myself honest on that aspect to you know make it not just. I try not to make it as easy as I could, but I also try to keep things very consistent. So I know if I'm welding this thickness, this is a good setting for me. I know it's been working out. It might not be the best for someone else possibly, but this is what I like to work uh, weld at. But yeah, I, I write it all down. I nice. I am very meticulous about it. <laughs> Adam, what do you That's... what do you do at school? Do you do you let them tweak the settings? Uh, most of Half of our equipment doesn't have auto. Uh, most of our equipment doesn't have the auto set features, oh, okay. um, which is fantastic. You know, I know I know there's some really good apps out there that you know help dial in some parameters. Unfortunately, most of them lack. Let's say I am welding on half inch plate and I do have 030 wire. Well, what setting should I run? Well, it's not. That's not a selectable option. So, so what am I supposed to do now? Um, and if you're, if you're ever going to take a weld test, you know, I don't, as an inspector, I don't want to see somebody playing on their cell phone for the weld test. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be opposed to somebody whipping out, a, you know, the little, the little note cards or, or like a, a small, you know, the little hand notebook that they had some settings that were working really well for them. Now, remember those settings worked really well for you that one day, that one time on that, on that gas at that flow rate with, with that particular machine. Uh, sometimes people rely really heavy on the, on the auto set features and you've got to think about 
what that was actually designed for was was that auto set designed for a and i think a lot of them are actually designed for like a 2f fillet weld so if you were doing a flat groove weld is that the right setting for that if you were doing horizontal or over or vertical or overhead is that the right setting for that or was that was that setting auto dialed in for a different position than you're welding in um you know different shielding gas flow rate like like people rely on that as as a as a band-aid and it's it's a great starting point but i think everybody should learn how to dial in their machine because if i'm in industry and i'm giving you a weld test and you said you're a welder not or operator you're a welder i'm going to zero out all the dials i'm going to disassemble the machine i'm going to give you three wires two different gases uh, the wrong contact tip, you know, set the machine, everything's taken apart, some different drive rolls, you need to put it all together and be able to, to dial in a weld. Now, years ago, I had a, I had a guy when I was in school tell me, oh, you should be able to dial in a welder with two tacks. You should, you know, I, I went to take a weld test. He was like, you know, can I have a scrap piece to, to set up the machine? He goes, you don't need one. You should be able to dial it in in two tacks. If you're, you know, if you can't do that, you're not the right guy. And I was, you know, green as green could be. Um, I was like, man, there's, there's no way you can dial in a machine with two tacks. And sure enough, here we are, you know, years later. And you should be able to dial in a mega welder with two tacks. You know, this <laughs> as you as you pull in, you know, pull away or, or you push towards the plate, you'll you'll adjust your voltage and know as you pull the trigger, I either need more or less voltage on one tack. Tweak it from there. You should have a baseline. You know, I'm I'm not going to go in and weld one inch thick plate at 14.4 volts and 150 inches a minute it's you're just not going to get there so having that knowledge and baseline that especially for for people that are in in uh multiple material multiple process applications i never know what the next job to come through the door is going to be so i need to have a pretty good idea well, i'm not going to Oh, I, I had some really good settings. Um, yeah, that was that was aluminum. Uh, which was that forty forty three wire or fifty three fifty six? So uh, writing it all down, I, I keep a note inside of my uh, inside my welder. I flip the panels down, and if I find some really good settings, like I I just did a uh, a bolt repair and it was some really garbage thin old aluminum. And I found some settings that worked extremely well. So I turned around and texted them to all my buddies. It was like, hey, you, you might want to save this. I'm like, what do I need this for? Said, you might want to write it down and save it somewhere. And sure enough, about three weeks later, one of them texted me back. Hey, man, thanks for those settings. I, <laughs> I had some garbage aluminum I had to weld. and Those settings worked great. Appreciate it. Um, so just being able to refer back to things, especially as you, as you advance through your career and maybe go from one company to another and when one wire manufacturer to another, things are going to run a little bit different. Being able to refer back to that, help, help out somebody else. So write them down. <laughs> yeah. Whenever, so whenever you have students like running like flux cord wire, I know that that specifically sometimes people will have, like, they'll say like, Oh, it's the wire, it's the wire. And like, they'll want to like blame like the spatter on the wire what is something that you notice that students are doing wrong that like you're able to like help them correct to eliminate the problem with like flux cord specifically? Uh, 
if I was going to go flux core specifically, I would start with uh, take off some of the drive roll tension because, you know, everybody figures if a little tight's good, cranking it way down has got to be better, right? Um, and making sure the, the liner, the, the whip is straight. And then uh, most often, I think when people go from, from a MIG process to a flux core, they forget about the contact tip to work distance. And so there's, there's a, a voltage change that's happening as you get farther and closer. And some of the reason that you're getting, you know, worm, worm tracking or porosity in your, in your flux core weld is, is because you're too close and your, your gas flow rate is, you know, everybody wants to crank everything up. They want to crank the pressure, crank the wire, crank the voltage, crank the gas flow. And, and you're actually creating turbulence. Um, you're not keeping your tip clean. Um, most of it is usually like, Hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we turn that down just a little bit, get the gas flow in the appropriate setting, um, reduce the drive roll pressure, straighten things out, uh, and then work on that, that arc length or the contact tip to work distance. You know, you, it's deceiving how far you actually have to be away to be a, a three quarter or seven, eight stick out. And everybody's like, Oh, I'm, I'm really far away. And, until you like, okay, stop right where you are. And then you show them with a tape measure that they're, they're really only three eighths of an inch away and, and actually backing off a little bit would help them. Um, I had one, one student a, a long time ago that he, uh, he wanted to argue with me over his welds. And I said, drop one volt. And he's like, no, oh, come on. You're full of it. He was in the middle of, he was going to take a weld test. I said, drop it one volt. It'll clean everything up. He dropped it one volt, came back in the room and, you know, had some choice words for me because he hated that I was right. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. One volt. How is it one volt? <laughs> Bo, is there any like wire that you kind of like find yourself troubleshooting quite a bit or what are you running the most on the jobs you're currently doing? I run a lot of O three O. Um, the ER70S6 right yeah. now. That's that's like kind of my bread and butter. I I do more thin material right now. In school, I spent the whole time welding up like three eighths to like five eighths plate. And ever since I've been out of school, I've like the thickest is like one eighth, like is like the thickest I've been going. So I've the troubleshooting has just been learning how to go thinner and thinner and thinner instead of thicker, thicker, thicker. So is most of that 16... make, making sure that you're not running too hot so you're not having like melt through? Is that like a problem? Well, it's it's uh, melt through, yeah, that's one problem, but then the other problem is like running it too cold, so finding that sweet spot where it's not just like a big caterpillar sitting on top of the metal, you know, but it's also not. I'm not burning holes every two seconds that I'll have to patch up later. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 16 gauges, 16 gauge is great. 24 and 22 gauge. Those have been very <laughs> difficult, <laughs> but it's been fun. Like I just did the, the place I'm working on right now, they have these giant metal doors out in the patio and they wanted me to cut off like 20 inches of the bottom because they're going to fill up more concrete. And so I did that. And then they wanted me to put it back on because they decided they didn't want the concrete. So I had to make new bottoms of the doors because the top was a wooden base 
and so it was it was very interesting trying to put back what i had already taken off but it was just welding very thin stuff i'd never done that in school so it was a lot of trial and error of figuring out how to not warp it and not burn through it and get it to look similar to what was already there so it's been a lot of fun so so but would you like to have would you feel that you would have taken more away in school if you had even been exposed to you know the 16 and 18 gauge materials and and preventing oil canning than you would have to pass let's say a, a 3g 4g 3a's plate test with short circuit meg i feel like i well there is a i wish i knew there was a a pathway that was for more sheet metal um i didn't know about it until i was in school and i was they're like this is the most hardcore welding you're ever gonna do it's leading you to be a pipe welder and pipe welders are the best people out there and i was like i'm gonna learn how to do the the hardest things ever so then the rest of it should just be easy and boy was i wrong <laughs> but i would love to have spent more time you know wor working with different thicknesses of material instead of just plate tests do you find yourself welding let's say eighth inch to three eighths so you you really have to kind of make sure you've got enough heat to melt the three eighths and not enough to melt the uh or melt through the eighth inch material well i like eighth inch is about as thick as i go right now um okay because i'm but at school it was you know doing your your standard like structural steel and pipe tests so it was like five eighths so learning that aspect of like putting lands and bevels on everything and multiple passes to like now it's like you got one shot and this is it you know <laughs> make it count yeah so I, I would have liked more exposure to that but you know it i i like having having the time to figure it out on my own because i feel like i'm not like stressed to figure it out because you only have this many weeks to get to this next uh, thing that you have to pass and then if you don't pass that then you're not going to pass the class you know it's like i like having the time to learn it on my own have plenty of time to fail and figure out what i did wrong trial and error like i like having my own place to weld so that i can take my time to really analyze what i'm what i'm doing and what the metal's doing i feel like that's just one problem with school is like you have a lot of time in a welding booth but you don't really understand what you're doing but when you get out you have a better understanding of what you're doing and you have if you're working for yourself you have a lot more time but you know it's also you want to get things done so that you can keep an income coming in to pay for the electricity mm -hmm. to keep practicing you know or the metal right you can't just go yeah. grab a piece of metal you got to go buy it <laughs> oh yeah yeah that is have, have very... you read any like o23 wire uh, I have not yet. I I was gonna go down to O twenty five next. Okay. That was so that I could just keep going thinner and thinner. But if like, you're if especially with the sculpture stuff, you might want to try some uh, some silicone bronze MIG wire. I, um, I'm very interested in the silicone, but bronze. I've heard a it, lot about it, it. It can also add artistic coloring, but it it works very well in like in like bodywork type applications because it's. It flows really well and helps you get rid of some of that that excessive melt through. Like you wouldn't want to be doing 045 wire on 
on that 22 gauge you're well known but oh yeah no 23 or or even some some silicone bronze because you know it'll still have the tensile strength it needs and just help help you out with getting it in there yeah i well i do tig too so it's like a lot of times i'll i'll tack it up with mig and then go back and find detail with the tig but I, I definitely want to do some like silicone bronze brazing and learn more about that. Nice. What project? Stay well over. Did you say you're trying to do sculptures now, but what sculpture have you done so far? Or what's like the next thing you have planned to do? Like sculpture wise. Uh, sculpture wise. I'm, I'm just kind of dabbling of figuring out how to, you know, it's like filling it in. It's been a lot of fun filling in big gaps and then shaping that to what I want. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's been a lot of downhill weaving back and forth. Um, Right. I'm still working on that Christmas tree and it is, it's getting heavier and heavier. So I got to figure out something new. And then the feathers, um, trying to do feathers out of um, fence wire, but removing the galvanization is quite the process. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Your your wife had that idea, didn't she? Yeah. Well, she like she's the one that has pushed me to get into the art side because yeah. she works at like she sells furniture and um at the place she works there's these like a lot of like beach and lake house uh decorations that are our, like there's all these fish that are made out of metal and uh-huh. they sell them for a crazy amount of money. I'm like I I can figure that out, so just trying to make a little i think i'm going to try to make an owl next yeah adam he has uh she challenged him that like whenever he has a job like whatever the scraps are that are left she challenged him to try and make something artistic out of like the scraps that he has left from each of his jobs nice yeah i think it's it's a clever idea to keep you out of your comfort zone so you can always keep learning Cause then you'll yeah. always want to keep looking up new processes or, you know, I mean, you have the whole team here. If you have any questions for anybody, you could always, you know, reach out to somebody if you need help on something, I'm sure Adam would help, but, um, Oh, and a funny thing is, is that another thing I was doing with the rebar, like I was going to make this compass and it ended up like I made I started on it and my wife came out cause she's designing the railings and making for our house. Mm-hmm. And um, she came out and she was like, that's it. Like that's, that's what I had in mind. And I was like, what? She was like, that's the whole idea I had in mind. So it was, it was like a happy accident. <laughs> Were you like, okay, I, yep. I meant to do it just like this. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. I read your mind and I yeah. thought this was what you'd like. <laughs> Write it on the calendar, Bo. Yeah. Bob Ross was flowing there. that's funny well i have one last question for you guys do you guys have any suggestions for books or other podcasts for people to listen to that have to do with welding or anything related to that i'm a big fan of the arc junkies i've been listening to it for a long time Mm -hmm. Um, it's great podcast he's got a lot of good people coming on there Adam. I'd second I'd second the Arc Junkies and the Welding Tips and Tricks. Uh, both of them have provided a, a lot of information over the years and, and the uh, the hearing from the, some of the guest speakers that come in or you know the, the guest hosts that 
share their their little niche of the world um, and being able to just continue to to grow as far as that goes. Uh, as far as books go, man, never, never stop learning. Um, I like the uh, you know the the procedure procedure handbook of arc welding from from Lincoln and the uh, the Jefferson's Welding Encyclopedia. There's if you're really into some some nerdy welding, that's uh that stuff is pretty good. Um, and then some of the other, you know, entrepreneurship and, and just life type uh, type podcasts, you know, things like, uh, you know, uh, Max Out with Ed Milat, you know, just trying to continue moving yourself forward, mm-hmm. not, not just your welding. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's a great. Oh, that's a good one. Great book. Great book. That's a good one. Good one, Paul. All right. Well, I will link both of you guys' um, social media so people can find you. Adam, you have Instagram, right? I do. What's your Instagram? It's A K Stretch S T R E I C H. Okay. And then Bo, I have yours, the Bo Did It Welding. I will definitely tag both of you guys in this episode. And I hope all of you enjoyed listening to them and this is our last episode of the year. I can't even what a believe year. that I hosted a podcast for, this is going to be the 32nd episode. I don't even know how I did that this year. <laughs> nice. I, I hope everybody sets the new welding goal for 2022 to, to learn something new or, or challenge themselves or, or get a new credential or add a cert- certification, or, you know, a, a join the American Welding Society or, you know, do, do something to move your, your career forward and, uh, and learn from somebody else. And give back. That's one of my my main things. That's a a huge thing for me at weld.com is that I love giving back and I love watching other people. You know, if you had a hard time and, you know, you were in a tough spot at some point, and if you're now in a position where you can give back and, you know, you can donate back to your school or you can go teach at your school or if you can come help at weld.com in some manner and you can give back to the welding community or, you know, pitch into a scholarship or, you know, a student who might not have the money to buy a welding helmet for a program or something like that. There's there's hooded heroes. There's all of these foundations out there that help the welding community. And I challenge everybody in the new year to give back a little bit if you can. Bo, do you have any last words for the new year? Make it a good one. <laughs> okay. All right. I will see everybody again in 2022 or talk to you at least. And I wish everybody a happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year.